This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU crimes. We have celeb guests. And today is a wild episode. And this is kind of an unhinged start, I feel. So that's exciting. Yes. I feel, <laughs> I don't know where I'm coming from. I'm <laughs> saying wild shit. Listen, I'm going to just start out up top so that nobody misses it or fast forwards it. Because do you think I like whoring myself out on this podcast for you guys to come to our live shows? I really don't, but I have to do it. So I'm just telling you guys, it is... Today, this is wide released on October 18th. We will be performing this evening in Raleigh and North Carolina. If you live in Raleigh, please come. My brother will be there. I don't know if that's incentive, but I do have a brother that will be there. Um, And then Atlanta... Hotlanta. We are going to be there on 1019 tomorrow. We're at City Winery. It's a gorgeous venue I hear. I'm so excited to do it. Get your butts there. Then on 1022, we'll be in Huntsville, Alabama. Not going to lie. We need you to show up, Huntsville, Alabama. We need you guys to get your butts there, get some ticks. And then the next day, the 23rd, we are in Nashville at Zany's. So excited for this leg of the tour to be Southern slash Southeastern. Um, and then you guys can get tickets for all of those shows at thatsmessedoplive.com. Uh, and then don't forget that in November, we're back out again in Rosemont, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago, Chicago, Indianapolis, Columbus, Cleveland, Detroit, and Madison. Um, not to mention that there are Florida dates in... There's Florida, Sacramento, and more Texas dates in December. So, guys, that's messeduplive.com. Get those tickets because shows are selling out. Um, Boston's already sold out. Um, New York is getting close. So, DC, get those ticks. Yeah. I know you think it's like not happening. Some of those shows are not t- happening until January or whatever, but 
Gotta get those ticks now. You'll regret it later. So anyway, that's enough of the business. Lisa, what's going on with you? We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, so much, but everything is now like, I don't even know. But so this hotel I'm staying at, like the ground is right out the window. Like I uh-huh. see the grass and there's a full-on ant farm in my room. No. Like I've killed maybe seven ants this morning. And I woke up with ants on my body. Like, oh no, so Can many ants. You? I'm leaving on Friday. I, oh, I, it's okay. Yeah. I, it is what it is. But like, I just can't believe the ant population that's in my That's crazy. That room. doesn't seem like a New York thing to me. Like LA is so ants. Like L- everybody in LA has ant problems. And, sh- and Skokie. Oh, really? Do you know there's like a famous story in the Traeger household and I wish I was there. I was not living at home, but I got a call and basically my parents' toilet was filled with bees. Ah! And then my dad sprayed them and killed them, but did not flush them. So then when my mom went to the bathroom, it was just like a toilet filled with dead bees. Which literally sounds like a scene from Candyman and is making me like so (laughs) horrified right now. Like what's going on? There was just this giant bee problem. I wish I remembered. Have you ever heard about about people who like come out and their bees are just swarming their car? Like bees are just all over their car? It's like a thing. It's like bees will just like attack your car and start, I don't know if it's like they think that your car, they're like making a hive. I'm sure like a bunch of biologists are going to write into us and tell us what that is. But yeah, people have said like, oh my God, what do I do? I just walked out and there's like thousands of bees swarming like the bumper and hood of my car. But why do they pick the car? They love gasoline? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Gasoline. Wait, hold on. Um, What would you do? Just hose them off? I don't know. Won't they come get you if you do that? Because it's like, they don't like water. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I'm sure there's like a fucking article on the internet about it that I'm not going to take the time to inter- uh, look up right now. I wanted to also mention one thing. We haven't really talked a lot about election stuff coming up because um, I feel like we just haven't, but we really, everybody needs to fucking vote in November. It's coming up in two weeks. Please register to vote if you haven't voted already. And We mentioned Dr. Oz on our podcast recently and someone was like, I was hoping you were going to mention that he's like running for office. And if you live in Pennsylvania, please do not vote for Dr. Oz. He's a full snake oil salesman. He does not, he's not from your state and he's a piece of shit and you should be voting for Fetterman, just FYI. Um, And that's just my uh, two cents on the Pennsylvania elections. It's very important. We need to keep senators. It's very important. But just register to vote. If you move houses, they don't necessarily know your new registration. Just go check. It takes three seconds to like check if you're registered to vote. So just everybody fucking do it. I know you guys that listen to our podcast are like very, very proactive and civically engaged. So I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir now, but just in case there's one person out there. Um, Lisa sent me this link to this tweet about of of this, uh, this story where these fucking, this cop got murdered during a simulation Like they were doing a simulation of like a mob attack or something on him and he got murdered. And it turns out that he was investigating a gang rape of a woman by four other cops and one of the cops that he was investigating was part of his murder. So this shit's just like going on. And this was in LA. This was in LA. This is not in some, you know, I don't know. Well, actually, so um, Antonia... I was just at her and Tom Sakar's wedding. She is a podcast producer. And she just, there's a new podcast out about the sheriff. The sheriff in LA is like one of the worst people ever. Oh, Villanueva? He's like a yes. nightmare. Yeah. So it's called Imperfect Paradise. And um, she just posted about it. But he ran as a Democrat 
and won over Liberal LA, she wrote, and is now this Fox News darling who, and yeah. So, oh, yeah. Because, and he has all these, like, there are like these, um, I forgot what they call. They're not gang. I think they're called gangs or they're called something like within the police departments. He does not have shit under control. I'll say that. No, um, it, because I, when I saw that, I, there were other people tweeting months ago that are like, told you, where people are like, I wonder what that guy was investigating that he got murdered. And of course, it's a fucking gang rape with other cops. This, like, it, it happened on SVU before this. Like, yeah. it's like the real life is now taking SVU as inspiration. But to when what you were saying that they have no fear, it reminded me, like, because I texted you this, I was like, do you know how she could identify the cops that raped her? Was that they had their fucking name tags on. Like, this is how but like completely fearless they are and completely confident that they're never going to get charged or arrested that or like that this woman's word is never going to mean anything because they just wore their fucking name tags while they assaulted someone. Like zero attempt to cover it up or hide it. Like Because now I wonder what's going to happen. Like, are they going to be... And they never get in trouble and we still pay for their like retirement. It's honestly, the horrors of the world are too much. I mean, this like I always spiral. with why, I know. During the episode, during this podcast, other podcasts, like I always just want to have a fun time and then I'm spiraling. But wait, we can still have a fun time. Let's talk. Well, let's, let's talk about... That's our... Okay, that we're done with our... We're Ice done with tea. the spiral. Ice T used to have the best podcast. It was called The Final Level. And Jared and I would listen to it on the road like all the time. It was so good. He would just talk about something for a while and then he'd go, and that was music. And that would be the end of talking about that. Or he'd be like, and that was philosophy. And that would be like, the, we're done with that section. So for me and Lisa, we're taking a page from The Final Level and that was world news. Now we're going to talk about something fun. I want to tell you something. I feel like I'm on crack right now. I'm so wired and I don't drink coffee and I haven't had any caffeine today, but I am like, we just did a couple of fun interviews. I think I'm jazzed. Anyway, yeah. I got an, I'm going to a wedding. Oh my God, Casey! <laughs> Casey always tells us when we're at 10 minutes for our intro and he just now made a tiny little flag that he waved like a little race car flag that says 10 on it. And that is really cute and I funny. I can't believe we already talked for 10 minutes. That flew by. I know. Yeah, no, he's right, I think. Um... Listen, I got the, I'm going to this wedding, which when this episode comes out, I'll have already gone. It's in Boston. I think my friend that is getting married may listen to the podcast or dabble. She's a good friend. She's getting married. She just sent us a message that says, oh, and just a reminder to respect the venue's policy of no phones, no photos, and no social media. And I'm like, I'm flying to Boston for a wedding and I'm getting dressed up and I'm not allowed to record it. This is like an if a tree falls in the woods moment. Like, does anybody hear it? Like, is if she I get famous? No, the club. That's the, the place she's getting married. That's their rules. And I spoke to her sister and her sister goes, yeah, and you get fined $100 if your phone rings in the club. Wow. This is like a, this is wedding is at like a blue blood Boston private club. I'll report back when I get back. That but is so Can you cool. believe? So my friend goes, I usually use my, my friend who's the sister goes, I usually use my phone in the bathroom and like check, to check. So I'm like, I kind of got to check in and see if my kids are okay, whatever. But like, you know, because Jared will be texting me going, where are the pajamas or whatever. <laughs> Your video that I just saw on Instagram too, where you're like talking about how you were hanging out with a friend and the husband comes in and goes, where's the frozen fruit? And you're like, where the fuck do you think it is? Where did you look? Like, so funny. Uh, yes, just sitting quietly judging everybody. Yeah. I like the no phones. I feel like that's cool. People are more you in the do? moment. I thought, Lisa, I did not think you'd be okay with that. 
Yeah, I'm okay with like, get off your phone, enjoy the sweating, talk to people, go dance and like, stop worrying about the shot. You know I fucking love a wedding. Like, I'm going to dance. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to be talking to people. Maybe there's a photo booth. Selfies with my sister, you know? Maybe. Maybe there'll be a photo booth. I bet there'll be a photo booth and like a professional photographer, I'm sure. Oh, yes. There's definitely a professional photographer. But will they get me? Will they get my sister? You know, like I need to I need to document every moment. Are you staying um, at the hotel? Or No, or it's actually amazing. My friend, other friend who's going, who I think you met at my birthday party. She lives in LA and her mom has a place in Boston that's four blocks from the venue. So we're staying there. That's amazing. Yeah. Was like really came like... All came together, um, and I'm leaving my kids and going to a wedding, and I'm I'm excited. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, I feel like we had some other well, stuff I to went talk to about. The Muna you concert. went to the Muna concert. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna try to go again in LA. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I had a really fun time, and it was cool. I don't know. It's like. It was a really good time, a good group of friends. And I got drunk. Like, yeah. I met friends at a bar before we went, and I, t- start, I took shots immediately. Like, I went and got drunk, and that was fun. Nice. Yeah. I I mean, I, I'm making it sound like it's rare, but I think it is rare when it's like, yeah, I'm going to go get fucked up tonight. Yeah. And I did. And they played my favorite song first. So that was kind of Well, that seems like an omen. Um, yeah, it was just a good time. I wish I had more stories and more little in-depth things, but it was just like a fun night out with friends. Yeah, that's really fun. Well, maybe I'll go in LA. When is it? Probably when. <laughs> when is it? I gotta October twenty fifth and sixth, or fourth and fifth, something like that. Okay. But my so, my parent, I know I have to visit my parents, and life is just too complicated at the moment. Well, we're gonna be in Chicago in November. I know, but they want it sooner. It's they not just, fast enough. It's not fast enough. It's been a while. I was trying to go this weekend, and it's just like, I need to go home. I have summer clothes. I don't... Yeah. I'm freezing. I saw a video of you freezing your little buns off in New York City and was like, why is it so cold? But I didn't realize <laughs> you have, like, nothing but summer dresses with you. I have nothing. Uh-huh. And then I met my friend for dinner, and she goes, are you not wearing socks? I go, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> Well, because here you have to schedule the the housekeeping, and I scheduled it for three thirty around our recordings. But then they came at three. You you saw me, and I. You know, it's always stressful for me to stand up because I never wear pants as we record. And so it was like, and she goes, "I can't wait. You got to get out." So I just had to like put on a summer dress and go, <laughs> like, and leave. hit the streets. Hit oh my street. God, it's going to be so fucking cold in Boston. I'm not ready for it. Okay, we got to start though. Casey waved that little flag a long time ago. Um, we've got a great episode for you guys. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're doing Svengali season nine, episode six. Um, and it starts with, for all our ASMR freaks out there, clickety clack, 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 clack. Okay. <laughs> um, the episode is, you know, starting off with some heels clicking hard on a marble, linoleum, I don't know, some kind of hard floor. I've never done any housework, so I don't really know what <laughs> different floor, you know, I've never remodeled. I've never picked out a Like tile. a building lobby. It's probably not marble, but it's like a, you know, a nice granite, maybe. <laughs> granite. Okay, fantastic. And it's a professional gal, um, and she has like a chic working leather bag, a knee-length skirt and she presses the elevator door button and her manicure is on point as well. (laughs) 
Right? And she has, like, diamond earrings, a braid, and she's tired. So we could tell, you know, she's working hard and fashionable and cares about her appearance. And she hears the door behind her closed, and then there's footsteps, and she gets super nervous, and you feel her getting nervous. And I can, like, I feel for her. And she's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And the steps continue, and it is a man, and she jumps into the elevator, and then he gets his arm in the door. And I'm, like, actually scared. But it's a nerd. Thank God. It's just a dork. Um, It's a sweater with a collared shirt type of guy. And he's like, sorry. And she rolls her eyes. And, but also announce yourself, you fucking nerd. Yeah, hold the elevator. So it's not like, I'm here to murder you. Like, come on. Yeah, something. And uh, so they're young finance type people that are working way too hard. And uh, he asks if she wants to get some caffeine. And she goes, I'm going to bed alone and steps out of the elevator and then fully falls down and her purse falls down the elevator hole. So that's strange. And then now we see it's like the elevator is like, I don't know if you've ever watched being John Malkovich, you know, it's like in between floors. So Uh it's like, but I don't know how she didn't notice that stepping out. Like the elevator is not directly on the floor. There's a gap. I thought it was because she was so busy sassing the guy, but yeah, it's a very clear gap. She like falls forward out of the elevator. (laughs) There's like such a deep hole. Um, and I, I mean, if my purse fell down an elevator shaft hole, I might I might have jumped in with it. I don't know if I would have had this, the, <laughs> the patience to fucking deal with that. I would be I mean, so, str- I would just go to bed in that office and like never come out. Like, yeah, I, so stressful. So she looks down to see how, how, how far her purse fell. Oh, no. She sees a dead woman in the elevator guts area and um, she has rope around her neck. She's wearing all pink and then bam, lights. We hear Benson's voice saying, wow, she looks like she's dressed for her dream date. Mike Doyle is there. Hell yeah. I don't even (laughs) remember his character name. It's O'Halloran. Yeah, here we go. Um, And he has some sad news. The perp choked her out with her own pantyhose. And then he also, like, choked her out and let her come back three or four times. And I don't know how exactly Halloran figured that out so quickly on the crime scene. But there was, like, some choking games happening. Um, And then he sliced off her breasts. um, But she was already dead. um, So I guess that's nice. But, um, and then... Uh, the killer left with the breasts. And this is also a fun era of Benson hair. It's like a pixie short, but swoopy in the front, a long side bang. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a cool cut. Only cool mm-hmm. girls could really pull it off. <laughs> and she's at a door seeing how he came through the door and there's no blood trail. So they think that maybe he kills this person, Jimmy's the lock, and then drags her to the elevator shaft is their kind of first initial hypothesis. So Maloney says like, oh, that's probably why her dress is dirty. And then this like highlights girl walks in. She looks like a college softball coach, um, also a model. I've never seen her in my life. Do you know this woman? Like, I've never seen this tech before. This is her one and only episode. So that makes sense. Um, She's for forensics tech Casa Nueva. Okay. <laughs> AKA Zule Hanau. And she was in a show called Love Thy Neighbor at what and Loving You Is Wrong, which are both Tyler Perry shows. And I, I'm telling you, one of them had 26 episodes, one 58 episodes. So I didn't even know Tyler Perry had TV shows, and they are multi, multi-season shows. It's like so wild. We're all out there working and oh yeah. 
No one knows anything. So she comes in science cop vibes saying the dirt doesn't match at all. So like whatever dirt you're talking about, being dragged from somewhere, that it's it's not matching. So Maloney's like, okay, so he killed her somewhere else, dumped her here. And she's like, no, the evidence shows she let herself in. And she shows the detectives that in her purse were, were the burglary tools. But then Maloney is like, that's a high price to pay for breaking and entering. Fuck. And it's true. It's sad. And then we're at the credits. Yeah. We open back up on a sexy mugshot. Um, and it's a hottie, Tina Snow, 21, went to a... That's weird to call her a hottie. She is dead. Um, you could say oh, she was hot when she was alive. Okay. A cool. nice way to remember someone. Okay. So she was 21. She went to Hudson University. Uh-oh. What did she expect? Yeah. She thought she was going to graduate. You thought you were going to live through, through four <laughs> years of Hudson University. So she does have a record for breaking and entering and trespassing. She's robbed from a storage unit and an electronics store. And um, in this building that she was found, there was a high-end art gallery in there. So maybe that's what happened and a partner gone bad. The rape kit is negative, but blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. She did have GHB in her system too. So there's just like a lot of conflicting things. Like, was she drunk and robbing? Was she Mm. getting drugged? Did she enter? Did someone force her to enter with her own kit? Like, we just really don't know what's going on. And then Benson with the fucking quote of the episode is like, why drug her and not rape her? And it's like, great question. I don't know. (laughs) Why? (laughs) So... Finn comes in with a guess. Uh, what if he couldn't perform? That happens often. And Cragen tells Elliot and Olivia to go see if the victim was hanging out with anybody new in her life and like go start with the roommate. So they're at the apartment of Tina Snow. It's on East 53rd Street. Her roommate is like, oh my God, she was into some freaky stuff, but damn. Um, there are a lot of books and uh, what seems like a full-size open ladder like in this apartment. <laughs> And I don't really know why. She says that she was into freaky stuff like staying out all night, never went to class. Okay, that's not freaky. That's like normal behavior. Um, But Hudson threatened to kick her out for not paying tuition. And she had a lot of pink slips and she owed the college $12,000 or she wasn't going to be able to graduate. And Benson's like, well, can't her parents help? And it's like, (laughs) honey. Yeah. Does your drunk mom help? Your privilege is showing, Olivia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But her parents, so they could not help. They are hillbillies. And they didn't even want her coming to New York to begin with. Um, There's a pile of ash and Stabler's like, what's up with this? And she's like, listen, this girl would get a postcard sent to her and then she would burn it. Um, But she doesn't know who sent them. It was something dirty. Like she would just leave and come home like legit dirty, covered in mud. So this is a regular occurrence that she's filthy. Um, And so we, but none of this is freaky shit. Her roommates approved. It's like, (laughs) I thought she was going to be like, she likes ball gags, something. There was just like I don't know. In college, if your roommate got a postcard all the time, burned it, left and came home covered in mud all the time, but wouldn't tell you what was up, you might be like, she's into weird shit. I don't know what's going on. Not freaky, true. (laughs) I take it back. You are right. The postcard burning is like, what the fuck is going on? Just rip it up. Like, no, you're totally right. So we cut to some, uh, we cut to some detective. We cut to Lake. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Lake with Finn and Mike Doyle in the lab and the dirt had flicks of mica from Manhattan in it. Okay. Um, It's from Manhattan schist. Um, there's no pollen or plant life. So Lake is like, it's probably the tunnels. Um, and are tunnels full of schist? 
They all are. Okay, so we're in a tunnel. So then Stabler and Benson burst into the lab and they want the burnt paper analyzed. And the hot science cop from earlier um, says, sweet, she puts on some futuristic goggles and she starts talking about non-visible wavelength and beep, beep, boop, boop, we get it. Okay, she says, presto. Uh, Benson reads, Astoria Platform, 10, 15, 1930. And today was October 15th and 1930 is military time for 7th. 30 p.m. Stabler cracks the code. He's a military man. That was an hour ago. So what's going on? And there's no Astoria stop in Manhattan. And Lake goes, yeah, there is. So off they are, off they go, and they go to the Waldorf Astoria platform. But why would it be called, oh, Astoria, oh yeah. <laughs> and it's shut down, right? It is shut yeah. down, but I love that they had their own train. But if you're rich enough to stay at the Waldorf, like, I don't know if you'd be taking the subway. Yeah. But I guess the secret, your own little secret platform, that's so <laughs> fucking cool. So Lake explains that they used to have a private subway for its guests, but the platform is shut down now. And then Finn says what we're all thinking, what, your family built the subway too? And then he goes, iron work is iron work. Oh, you know that like famous, really famous photo of men eating lunch like in the sky? Uh-huh. So I just saw the photo of the photographer up there. Like, we're all about these guys, but there was a guy floating up there taking the picture. Oh, yeah. That's cool. We don't talk about him. And he was standing danger. I wouldn't do what any oh of those men God. were doing. It's so scary. That I, I want to know how many people died off that. Like, they just all seem so casual, too. Like, I just don't understand the casualness of it. Yeah. Are they sociopaths? I'm, like, not scared of heights, but I don't really want to sit and, like, have a sandwich up on, like, a teetering piece of steal. It's not about heights. I'm not scared of heights. I'm scared of falling out of a... Th I'm scared of myself. I don't trust myself on a pole. One wind, one little... One sneeze. What if you sneeze? Yeah, but isn't it the heights that eventually scare you that you would die falling from a height? Loose on a pole, but I would go <laughs> to the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah, you know? same. I don't have a problem with heights is what I'm saying. Yes, I agree with you. I, agree. I, I, yeah, I don't think this is a fear of heights that's stopping me from wanting to hang off a pole. It's like you can fall so easy because I, I love roller coasters. I bungee jumped. Like, it's like the imbalance of it, the like the teetering. What if you choke on a piece of bread? <laughs> You're Goodbye. eating your sandwich, and then it's like, and then what if you drag someone with you, or do you just hop off and to kill yourself? Like, I just, it's just too much. Like that photo, I want more information. Okay, yeah. we're back. We're back. Uh, you seem unfazed by those men. You're like, yeah, I'll eat lunch on any pole anytime. No, I was saying that's the part of it that freaks me out. Like, I don't mind going up to something high. I like roller coasters. I like heights, but I would not want to be loose on a pole. I feel the same way as you. It's too much. Yeah, too and scary. to me, it's like, are these sociopaths without an education? Like, how do you not have fear? <laughs> how do you not know. have fear doing that? Is it like a trick and it's not as high up as we think it is? Like, I don't know. No, it is, right? I would love if that was it. Yeah. Okay, so now it's super cute. We're back in the episode. They're in the little train platform and it's the four of them walking with flashlights and it's like really cute. They remind me of the kids in the movie It, like the newer It or like, um, what are the boys looking for the dead body? Like Those the Hardy boys. boys? Yeah, but what's the famous movie in the 80s? Jerry O'Connell's in it, Chubby? Oh, Stand By Me. My, one yeah. of my favorite movies of all time. I've never seen it. Um, oh, it's so, so good. 
Well, finally, you get to gasp because I feel like you don't watch shit that I watch. I know. So now, like, I used to talk about Stand By Me when I was a camp counselor. Like, I was like 20 years old. I'd be like, you know, like in Stand By Me and like my campers would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, so it's definitely like a certain generation got hit by Stand By Me. They just look cute. It's very adventure ghost yeah. vibes. I like them with their little flashlights. Um, and then they hear a TV and it's like, is there a side room off the subway? What happens? And there is. So they like enter and it's a bunch of people dressed and dresses. So they're watching an old movie and an old-timey mustache white suit man is um, working the projector. And it's like lights and this is cool as hell, but they scatter at the moment that they realize the cops are there. Stabler grabs the white suit guy. And a girl in a green dress is taping it and Benson grabs the video camera. The man says he has nothing to say and Benson's like, we have the footage. You don't have to say anything, you idiot. So now we're watching the footage. But also, is this illegal? Is this trespassing? It's an abandoned train. Like, I'm sure they could figure out a way to make it illegal. Like, a, 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 a illegal. like it, is new, it is city property, I guess. I don't know. I guess I'm more shocked that there aren't more like gutter people living down there that it was just like this fancy movie event. Right. Um, so though, so now we're watching the footage and the footage is for days earlier. Like for some reason, they have a week of footage on this. And so we're watching the white suit bow guy and he's talking on the video and a woman in a pink dress is climbing up uh, this electrical box all the way up. And he's saying that he is Agent Mayhem reporting for the Silk and Cyanide Corps. So Elliot's like, you're a loser and your name is Edgar Robinowitz. <laughs> that was, I love that. Okay. Yeah. And he has a rap sheet of trespassing, burglary and resisting arrest. So she asks, what is this group? And he says they are secret agents of adventure and the playground is the city and every rooftop and tunnel and are fun. And so we watch the video and there's just like lots of parties and we see Tina in this pink dress. She does climb all the way up and he can't climb. So she pokes fun at him for not being able to climb and he's just like, shut up, bitch. So that's not a good sign. Um, Tina's on the platform yelling, having a great time and they show the photos of her dad and accuse him of committing the murder and he gets serious and he's like I did not kill her but the dress is the same on the video so start talking dude so he says she was alive when we left her at a bar after the mission um and the bar is the Maharati Ma Maharati Maharati whatever it reminds mm. me of the spice market um once we get there um did you ever go there in Hell's Kitchen no. The Spice Market? No. I don't think it's I don't think it's open anymore. For some reason, that was a place we would meet for drinks sometimes. Uh. Um, the girls and I. And so, but she got blasted and he's like, talk to the bartender, Cecilia. She'll tell you what's what. So they go off to the Matahari bar and the bartender is Katy Perry's best friend, Shannon Woodward. And she's... <laughs> Um, and she's in a blue polo shirt. And I and I did do a chemistry test with her when I was living in <laughs> that little house that I flooded um, <laughs> in the winter months of 21, 2021. Was that yeah. while, when I was there? 2020. Yeah. yeah. Everything's a blur, but um, she's working. She's successful. And this is like a dream role to play a busy bartender. And she's like, of course, I noticed those freaks. They're hard to miss with their outfits. Uh, they all left around 1130 midnight. And Benson then shows the photo of Tina and she goes, oh, she always stays till last call. I know her. She's hot. and Everyone is hitting on her all the time. And she asked why she why? Like, is she in trouble? And Cecilia is shocked that she was murdered and says, oh, my God, and starts talking about some 
some guy that was a dick that threw a bottle on the floor um, when she cut him off, but she didn't throw him out because she like calmed him down and he was very into her and they left together. And so everyone's nervous. So she gets nervous and says she doesn't want to get involved. And Benson's like, you're the last person to see her alive and he might have killed her. Like, you need to help us. So Benson asks if she'll sit down with a sketch artist and she does agree to do that. So now Stabler's back at the precinct taking calls. Um, 233 calls to be precise. Wow. And then the phone rings and Benson answers and it's Cecilia and she's closing and the guy from the bar is there and she's not, like, she's scared and then she screams. So they rush back to the bar to look for her. The bar stools are thrown all over the place and then Stabler notices a giant blood painting, but it's also like, that should be the first thing you notice. (laughs) It's so big. So it's like this giant painting made of blood of the Venus statue, you know, with her arms cut off. It's pretty famous. And Benson goes, that's blood. And it's like, yeah, we we know. We all know that's blood. We all get it. Um, And then it goes to black and it obviously it's a commercial break. And now we're back from the pause and Benson's walking into the squad room on the phone yelling at someone because she's been missing for four hours. Um, Her gold chains are layered and super cute. And they have no leads. There's <laughs> I like how that's one sentence. <laughs> the chains are layered, the leads are not cute because there are not any. <laughs> Um, there's a science guy there that sent the blood statue picture into the computer database, and out comes the Venus statue. And it's like, yeah. What? <laughs> you didn't know that? You didn't know Venus de Milo. We had to put that through a database. <laughs> but also, what is this artistic database? that the NYPD has that uh, takes like paintings of blood and says this is what they're like. It's just like a kind of a crazy machine. Oh, it's Ruben. Okay, so it's Ruben Morales who does not know the statue. He's yeah. just too into science. He doesn't know anything. So off this internet though database that I was shitting on, he does look up these like, he finds these paintings from this blood thing. So I guess they do have some some resources. And so there's like all these paintings done by a man who does have a mugshot and he's serving time and his name is Robert Morton. And so like the blood relates to the art that he makes and that's how they connect it. Is that clear or no? Yeah, basically they thought this uh, this signature or whatever this person's leaving is similar to like a signature of like of the artwork of this guy who is a killer. I know, but it was just his paintings he did in jail. It wasn't like a signature from his crimes. Oh, so I don't know whether it's... You can kind of do like reverse image searches now, even on just Google. Like you could like reverse image search something and see maybe if it... But reverse image searches have to be kind of like exact. Maybe their thing is like you can kind of just reverse image search something and see what it kind of looks like. And so then they found this guy's art. Yeah, like this is... Yeah, so basically they put in this bloody thing. Then Ruben goes, wow, it's the Venus. And then they find all these paintings this guy has been making in jail. It's wild. Yeah. Um, If you have a more clear idea of what just happened here, hit us up. Kara will read the message. (laughs) So the guy's name is Robert Morton. He's serving eight life terms in Sing Sing with no parole. So it means that there's a copycat out there. And Benson says that Morton tortured his victims for 12 hours. So they have eight hours to find Cecilia if the copycat is that good and accurate. So they go to Sing Sing to talk to the artist slash murderer and Sabler asks him for his partner's name. Him and Benson ransack his giant ass cell. So huge. He has trinkets. Like, I think this would be what my jail cell looked like. Like... (laughs) 
He has so many memories. And Robert says he works alone. He always worked alone. And then and then they're like, well, give us your new partner's name. And he looks guilty um, when he is asked this, but he's not giving any any deets. And then Stabler starts ripping his paintings apart and says, does, does this motivate you? But Morton looks pretty unbothered. Benson shows the photos of Tina and Cecilia to him and he tries to grab them and breathes like really turned on. And she's like, no, 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 no. Um, and he says, there's some sublime. What can I do with those? But he is innocent, I think. Obvious. I mean, obviously, he's in the jail. (laughs) She says, you mutilated women. And he says, there's beauty in everything, yada, yada. Sometimes you have to dig deep to find beauty. So she is like, women with no arms and breasts are attractive. And he's like, yep, I love the Venus. And she says, someone is copying your work. Tell me who it is. And he asks for the crime scene photos to give his take. And Benson's like, oh, you would love that, wouldn't you? And she turns around to walk away. Stabler's going through his mail, um, but he can't open any letters from lawyers, but fan mail is fair game. So he starts going through those. So now we cut to an art gallery where Finn says that they found their name through the letters and like, why are you guys writing with this murderer? So this gallery actually bought one of the murderer's pieces and they think that the price is going to skyrocket now that it's part of a crime scene. Um, So they're sickos, but they're pumped as fuck. And the woman starts talking about outsider art and is like, don't you find it raw? And Finn says, it's sick. It's like, yeah, he murdered people. Get a grip. I don't know. Would you buy a murderer's paintings? Well, we talk about this all the time. Can you separate the art from the artist? You know, can you watch Woody Allen movies? Can you listen to Michael Jackson music? Can you buy a painting that you think is beautiful and moving that a murderer made? You're right. We have talked about this a bunch, but Michael Jackson is dead. And that's why I think we can listen to him. So would you buy Ted Bundy's art if you found some art that Ted Bundy made that really, like, moved your soul? Would you buy it? Murdered dozens of women? Mm. I don't know, but I... So, you know, I love going to the antique mall that I talk about in Western New York, and Uh there's a ton of Nazi stuff in there, like, a lot. (gasps) Really? Yeah, I hid some of it, but, like, if I had money, I think I'd buy out all the Nazi stuff and just burn it. Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? I guess I would do that. I wouldn't display it, but it. they also have a lot of like racist shit at the antique mall. But there is something really shocking about seeing like swastika patches. And That's so wild that they're out. And, you would think that would be like a, you have to have like a secret racist handshake and you say, can I see the stuff in the back? And then they show well, you. Well, I think, I think they should have like a trigger room. Like I think they should have like all of their yeah. racist Nazi all shit your, in a room. Yeah. Um, but what I was told was like, they're mostly sold by veterans who came back with the patches of all the people they killed and stuff like that. Uh, And so it's veterans, maybe it's like a state or whatever, but I don't think that's who's buying it. And that's what makes me nervous. It's like, who is buying this? Right. Like I hid this one giant metal. It was like the eagle bird holding a circle with the, like a giant thing. And so like I hid it behind some stuff, but doing the Lord's work. Kind of. It just, it really made me uncomfortable. But I don't know. I don't know if I'd buy Ted Bundy's shit. And I know the Dahmer movie's coming out and that kind of sickens me. He was really bad. Yeah. He's uh, one of the first cases I learned as a young person where I was like, damn, cops suck. Like that was one of the first cases that really made me like realize how fucked up I mean, I only recently heard about what I've talked about on this podcast before was like his tie victim escaping and talking to the cops and then the cops like giving him back to Dahmer like that is the most horrific part of it that I 
I only recently read about that like five years ago and was like, oh my God. But yeah, he well, was yeah. Like, the serial killer of the day when I was a kid. Like, so well, scary. Well, yeah. And like, he like, I think that person that was returned back had like Drano in his brain and like yeah. drilled hole. Like, it was yeah. fun. I actually used to do a joke about that when I started comedy about Dahmer. <laughs> And how impressed I was just like, um, how impressed the joke was like how impressive serial killers are because like they also have day jobs <laughs> <laughs> and how prolific they are. A lot. Well, you know, and, there are a lot of Virgos. Yeah. It's a lot of a Virgos. Lot of We're good at multitasking. So I was like, this guy, fuck Obama, this guy, let's learn how to do speech from him. And then I, I was like, how I was like into Ed Gein's lamp made out of nipples. I mean, this was an old joke. This was like 13 years ago. <laughs> But, um, you know, we all have to start somewhere with our murder jokes. So it cuts to, like, talking to a teacher. Do we guys, Do we remember where we all are, you guys? So so now I don't even know where we are. Well, we, so were at Lake, the, we were at the Outsider Art Gallery, and now we're at Lake. Yeah, so now Lake is talking to a teacher who is walking behind her class of super small children. And she says, he is not a killer. And this new murder proves it. And she writes to him every week and they are engaged. And she visits him and she believes he's going to get out one day with the appeals. And there's a free Robert Morton committee and she is the president and they all try to get him out. Oh, these pen pals. Oh. Um, so now we're talking to a guy, Jasper Bryce, who is the vice president of the group. And he said he didn't do anything. And Stabler's like, hanging out with felons is violating your parole. But he's like, I haven't seen him since I got out. So, you know, what's up? I'm just in this group. And he said he took care of him in prison. And that's why they have this, like, deep connection. So he doesn't know who Cecilia is, but they still are like, you killed Tita Snow, we know it. They're playing cops things. They're saying that, like, Robert told him that he did it and that he's done and they know he did it and he kind of bites and says yeah I killed her and like I don't really buy it but he's like yeah I killed her I killed her he says I left her in an elevator shaft tied hands behind her back and choked her with her own pantyhose and then I cut her so then they go, fine, you did that, but like, tell us where Cecilia is. Like, we need to know where Cecilia is. And then Diane Neal, woohoo, Casey Novak, she interrupts and they're pissed and they're like, what the hell, Casey? And she's like, sorry, sorry, no, but it's not your guy. His supervisor alibied him. He was loading lumber, but he knows the secrets. Like, they didn't release all of this info to the press. So he does know information that no one should know, but he was at work and he's truly lying about doing it. So in comes Cragen with a tape recorder saying, we've got a bigger problem. Detective Olivia Benson, we hear in a distorted voice, cha like voice changing thing. You better leave Robert Morton alone or you'll end up like the other girls. Uh oh. But there's no way to trace it. And they could, but they can tell it's a man from its pitch. Of course, they want Olivia to be safe. And she's like, hell no, we must push it along. So what is up? Like, this guy's knows stuff, but he, like, I don't know how this guy knows this information, how he's connected. He is a liar, but he's also obsessed with this killer. So Benson goes, listen, you lied. You're a pathetic wannabe. A leech, Stabler calls him. You suck up to guys who have the balls to do what you can't do. Benson offers him a chance to be a hero by telling us, like, where is Cecilia? And it will go in the file and you'll also be linked to Morton if you do that. Where is she? He says that La Morte, the graphic novel um, inspired by Robert, that's all he says. Each issue is one of his murders, and each cover is a drawing that matches one of the photos of the crime scene. Cragen is like, whoa, that is super twisted. <laughs> 
Um, but there are five more issues that are not based on real events, but in an alternate reality where Morton has never been caught, these murders continue. And issue nine is in the elevator. So someone is staging the covers to take off where Robert left off. And all the same images are from the graphic novel. So like all of the bodies and all the places are inspired 100% from the covers of this graphic novel series inspired by the murders. Everyone on the same page. Great. So the story and art uh, is by Harrison Thomas. So they rush to his apartment and he's like, hey, you can't come in here. You have no right. And Benson's like, we have a warrant. Shut up. And he goes, what grounds? Um, And it's like Tina Snow's crime scene, you dumb bitch. Um, He's like, thousands of people read my novels. And she's like, yeah, but you're a sicko. So you came to mind. (laughs) And she asks where he was. And he says, working on his newest comic book with his inker. Stabler is digging. And Harrison is like, hey, get out of my stuff. And he has uh, Ted Bundy underwear. Speaking of Ted Bundy. Oh, gosh. I forgot. (laughs) He talks about freedom of expression and Benson is like, not when there's a murder. And then he is like, pro-murder? He says it's part of nature and our society and we should just like be more chill about murder. (laughs) And Benson is like, yeah, that's why I'm unfortunately employed. (laughs) Like, fuck off. Um, Also, it's like, It's so much easier to talk in theory when it's like you're not seeing the murder. Like, this guy Mm -hmm. sucks. So Stabler calls her over and shows her from the issue of the Venus murder that, like, you know, she's been taken to a place. So they turn to this author guy and say, what is this place? And he says that that's Robert's childhood home. So they rush there. Our Our detectives run up with their flashlights. There's no backup. And holy shit, they do find her. She's barely alive. Blood on her chest. Rats are running around. So many rats. It's so many rats. So many rats. Oh, so scary. Oh, God. You know about the king rat, right? The rat king? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she's on a mattress on the floor with all these fucking rats all over her. And now we're at the hospital where Benson is walking towards Cecilia's bed and she is super confused. She's like, what? The last thing I remember is working with a sketch artist. And she goes, well, yeah, you had GHB in your system and it gives you amnesia. And she's like, what the fuck? Was I raped? No, but somebody attacks you with a knife and she's realizing her scars, but everything's intact, but she is going to need plastic surgery. And she's like, if I never talked to you, none of this would have happened to me. And she is right. She is stressed. And then she goes, my life is so messed up. And there is nobody to, (laughs) and there's nobody to call. And she, oh yeah. And then Benson's like, well, can you, you know, do you have anyone to call? Do you have family, friends? And she goes, I have nobody. Just go away. And she cries and she breathes deeply. And Benson walks out of the room. And it's true. Like Benson leave. It is, it is her fault. Benson sprints into the squad asking the boys what's up. What happened with the comic book creep? Alibi checked out, but Benson doesn't like that. Like, a woman is dead, another woman is deformed, and this author just gets to walk. Harrison Thomas didn't kill or attack the people, so just, like, fucking find out who did it. I'm sorry. Like, the books are weird, but they're not illegal. So now Finn brings in a box of pizza, and he's like, hey, it's your pizza. And she's like, I didn't order pizza. Dun, dun. Um, and but it has her name on it. And so she says, just throw it out. And Lake's like, are you fucking kidding? Let's recycle. And Finn's like, no, 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 we're not. Re- it's not an empty box. There's a pie in here. It's not empty. And Lake goes, well, I would love to eat some pizza. Uh, there's no such thing as bad pizza. And so then he throws it on his desk and boom, 
an explosion. There is a bomb in the pizza box. People and papers are flying everywhere. Glass is breaking. Mariska hears the noise and runs back to the squad room. She was like kind of near the elevators at this point. Cragen looks scared. Stabler gets up to check on people. Lake has bloody cuts on his face. Benson runs in and tells a uniform cop to call a bus and get a bomb squad here ASAP. Lake is being wheeled outside in a stretcher, fully bleeding, being like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Put me in coach. And it's like, can you just please go to the hospital? A bomb exploded mere feet away from you. <laughs> um, Cragen says, we're lucky that nobody died in there. And Olivia is off the case. And she says, that's exactly what he wants. And it's like, okay, who cares? What are we playing mind dating games with somebody? Like, it's fine. It's fine if he gets what he wants for a second. And that's, it's like, you know, we want to die. Uh, there was a bomb. This guy is a freak. Like, whatever is happening, like, stop. So what if you took the pizza? And, uh, yeah, like, what if she opened the pizza and she was dead? Yeah. She's just lucky she wasn't hungry. Finn is truly ble- bleeding from his ear. Like, did you blood is like pouring out of his ear here he explains it was a pipe bomb lightweight but deadly but he is an idiot so he fucked up the bomb so it's actually chiller than what it would have been if like he did it right and then Finn walks off and says a magical line I've never noticed before he goes (coughs) Ice-T says somebody tried to bust my eardrums I'm gonna bust their ass (laughs) Mike I hate that it's summer I I miss wearing my Ice-T sweatshirt (laughs) Mike Doyle runs up with the cut photos of Tina and Cece. And what he noticed was similar knife blades did make the incisions, but the one on Cece's body, he is guessing, were self-inflicted with the way the cuts are. So she cut herself and he is betting on it. She's like, Captain, please let us find out. And he agrees. And once they get a warrant for her apartment from Novak, they can go search. So now, obviously, they're at the apartment of Cecilia Strayer, aka Cece. Are you calling her Cece or has somebody called her Cece? I've been calling her Cece. That's just a nickname you're giving her. (laughs) Like yeah. Cecilia Bloom from Beaches. I love it. Like Cece Bloom, go. I love it. it I just was, noticed you calling her Cece's like Cece's Pizza. And I thought maybe it was the pizza bomb. I don't know what. Like Cecilia is such a hard name to say. It's a beautiful song. I love the yeah. name. I know of a child, Cecilia, and they all call her Cece. But yeah, this yeah. was me. Craig is <laughs> not like, go check up on our go, girl, Cece. Let's go figure out what happened to old Cece. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> So they go to the apartment. Sailor says, ugh, this place is a dump. There's trash everywhere. She has sketches signed by Robert Morton in the apartment, which, uh-oh. I mean, done, she done. loves him and knows him if they're signed. Stabler chimes in, yeah, they're pen pals. Benson starts scuffling through all the stuff and Stabler finds a ton of letters going back years between them. He says, son of a bitch. And basically, she worked at Robert's law firm. So legal visits are do not go into the inmate logs. So that's why they didn't put it together. And all the letters from the legal office, they can't read because of the laws. So like they got private meetings and private letters because she worked at the law firm. She played them and they know it. And it's so another like, case of like a, like a killer or like a criminal being such a good actor. Like when she was in the hospital going, my life is so messed up. Like I would have never had this happen if you hadn't talked to me. If I never talked to you. And it's like, that's all made up. Like you're working for like complete acting monologue. 
It's incredible. Um, so sh- but so that means she was the last person to see Tina Snow alive, and she also fucking did the crime. So she gave Tina the GHB and gets to, p- and then she made her pick the lock and kills her and covers it up by faking her own assault. And then they're like, "Would he tell her to kill herself?" And so then, and we find out it's nepotism. Her dad was friends with Robert. Oh. So she's in this murder community from her dad's friendships. Yeah. I'm being a little silly, but whatever. So when she was 17, she found out that her mom had lied to her her whole life and that her dad did not die in a car crash, but he was actually in prison for bank robbery. So that's where he met Robert and they were friends and they wrote letters, yada, yada. So Morton's talking with Stabler and he's like, oh, she played my ass too. I think he played her ass is what you wrote. Okay, can you just say it? Because I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, so so now Morton's talking to Stabler and he's like, yeah, I played her. I don't really care about her, but I groomed her and she ate it all up. Like, he just admits everything because he's like a fucking psycho. Oh, wow. Okay, thanks. So they're switching back and forth between Stabler and the man and Cece and Benson. And she's like, yeah, I became an intern on purpose just so I could see him. And he told her to do that. So they had complete private, you know, complete privilege, complete privacy. And she was a virgin and he plucked her. I don't like that. I don't like those words. (laughs) And he stopped wanting to see her and he was having doubts, she said. And Benson's like, listen, I also didn't have a dad and I get wanting a man to love you unconditionally. She says she used to feel like part of her was missing and she felt hollow. Then she met garlic and he filled that hole. (laughs) Why does it say garlic? Morton? I don't know. I don't why know why. Why did it turn to garlic? I don't know why it turned to garlic. It says garlic in your notes. <laughs> and when he left her, uh, the hole got bigger. And he starts reading the letter he wrote to her about how she'll never truly understand him and the depths of him. And that she only has a shallow level understanding of his art and soul. And if we were soulmates, you would be like me. So then Stabler asks like, oh, you wanted her to be a killer. That's like how someone will be your soulmate. You can only be soulmates with other killers. And then it cuts back to Cece and she's like, I never killed anyone. And Benson asks, okay, liar, but why Tina? Like, tell me why Tina. I want to know. Why did you pick Tina? She looks a lot like you. So that makes her mad and she looks away. Who are you really trying to hurt, she says. And she thinks she was trying to hurt herself um, when she killed Tina. Like, you know, like, basically, this woman hates herself so much that she's killing people that look like her to kind of kill herself, but not fully, because she's still trying to impress her little murder daddy that plucked her up. Um, So she starts to furrow her brow, and she starts crying. And she says, I wish I would have died. And she starts crying really hardcore, super ugly crying, very, very wild acting. And he said she was a gift, an artist offering to me. And um, he can prove that she killed for him. He says that she took trophies, didn't she? Tina's breasts. And he knows what she did with them. So now Mike Doyle is digging in a grave and the breasts are in this grave. So did she go grave digging and throw breasts in an extra grave? Yeah, looks like it. Wow. And Novak says that they have enough evidence to charge her with murder now. So once they take the titties out of the grave... (laughs) 
Novak says that they have enough evidence to charge her with murder. And Robert's in an orange jumpsuit there being like, well, I brought you here and showed you everything. Like, can I get a little peek? And Benson loses it. Like, I rarely see her like this, but she is pissed and she jumps at him, gritting her teeth. And Stabler has to hold her back. And he says, relax, and then pushes him um, and says, get that garbage out of here. And he's unfazed and he's like, let's do this again sometime. And he's gross, evil, calm, and collected. Werner verified the breast tissue and that it is Tina's. And so Stabler is telling Cragen all this and also tells Cragen that Benson's at home sleeping. And then Cragen says Stabler should go home and go to sleep. And he's like, you don't have to tell me twice. So he goes to go to bed too. So we know none of these fuckers are going to be able to sleep. But also they're acting so relaxed after like a bomb definitely blew up in that office. <laughs> yeah. Mere hours ago. They're like, take a nap, go to bed, see you tomorrow. Um, Lake is at work with tons of cuts on his face. Stabler tells him he should rest, but he doesn't want to. Um, just in case he has a concussion, he just wants to stay up. And he's looking at the surveillance videos from the hallway of the bombing. And he sees a guy who brought the pizza in, but he's wearing a baseball cap. So Stabler's like, listen, I can't help you. My pregnant wife is asking for peanut butter and tacos, and I have to go to the bodega. <laughs> so Lake is like, say no more. And Stabler says, thanks, dude. And then we see Olivia with a brown paper bag of groceries in her apartment building. And I'm scared. Lake is talking on the phone with her as she's walking in. And he's like, I keep looking at these tapes and there's no good face shot. And Benson's like, yeah, he knew there were cameras. And Lake is like, it seems like he knew there was a shift change happening as well. Like he did it right as the new detectives come in for their night shift. And then he goes, wait, hey, wait. He has something. He has a tattoo on his neck. It's a circle with a line through it. She says she knows that tattoo, that the comic book guy, Harrison Thomas, had it. And so she's turning the key to enter her apartment and she push, and, and then someone pushes her in and says, bitch, I told you to leave it alone. And they start full-on brawling. She screams. She's been stabbed. He says, don't worry, we're coming. Um, Lake, Lake says that. Okay, not the guy, you know, stabbing yeah. her. And he walkie-talkies for people to go to her apartment and they're fighting and she's beating him with a giant book and she knocks him the fuck out. Probably hits him one too many times. She is out of breath. She is tired. <laughs> um, hopefully she didn't buy eggs. They would be definitely smashed. <laughs> They're wheeling this guy out as he says that Morton is a genius. And it's like, sure, but he's in jail. So how genius is he? Like, he did get caught. Stabler walks up and I guess his wife didn't get the food she wanted. Um, and I, <laughs> and Kathy is, Stabler never gets anything she wants. <laughs> but this is also season nine. Like, was food delivered? Like, I don't even remember a time before Postmates. I know. Grubhub, like all of that. Like, what? You could only really order Chinese... And fucking pizza. Like, what else delivered season nine? Times? Yeah, like, I don't think you could get peanut butter delivered to your house back in the day, back at this time. No, maybe she could send one of the teens, but like, I'm trying to think, did you, did your family do delivery? No, never. Never. See, neither, we would get Little Caesars, but we would pick it up and then. We would pick up food, but like, yeah, we would never, because we lived far out, like, and there wasn't really delivery in my town. Like, there was one pizza place that delivered. My siblings and I would find all the change from under the couch and by the laundry machine and everything and, like, gather it up. And when my parents went out, we'd order a pizza and, like, go to the top of the driveway and, like, hand them a bunch of change. Like, Psycho is the only place that delivered in town. Yeah, our lives are so fucking... So different, different. now. Now delivery is like, yeah, take it for granted. Yeah, you would have, like, a drawer of little menus and, like... Because <laughs> we'd pick up from Hub. No, I, I remember the first time I went to my friend Aaron's house and then her parents ordered in and I got to, like, get a hot dog and I was like, 
what uh, is this? <laughs> we all just get whatever we want. Yeah. I like couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Um, I loved that family's house so much. We had a lot of fun. Um, they were wheeling. Okay. So, okay. You guys know what's happening. We're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> Kathy is disappointed by her husband yet again. <laughs> Benson is exasperated, but gorgeous with her hair disheveled. And she's like, damn, how many people are out there willing to kill for him? What does he have over them? So then we cut to a lawyer and a judge doing a walk and talk. Um, and we have Beverly D'Angelo, queen. And then we have a man named Peter McRobbie and he's playing the judge and it's judge walter bradley who's been in 18 episodes and huh. she's like he is a sociopathic killer who exploited a young girl cc would never do this on her own and now as we enter chambers we see novak walking in behind her representing the people she is not having it. Bad influence is not a defense. And they start going back and forth fighting and the judge is thinking. And while Beverly is talking about a case, Novak is like, what, the Svengali defense? Did you have Svenguli in your town? No, what is that? Svenguli is a gothic clown. You never, he wasn't a part of your life. He had his own TV show. But no. in Chicago, Svenguli, like... He would be on WCW Channel 26 and he would like uh, be like, and now we're going to watch this movie. He's like Elvira. He's like the horror movie guy that would be like, and coming up next, the monsters. Oh my God, I'm looking him up. I've never, I, there's pictures of him with Elvira. I've never seen this guy in my life. Svengoolie so was a funny. big part of my life. Like a regional celebrity. Yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, so Bev responds, no mental disease. She had no control over her actions, and she felt compelled to do what she was told by him. But Casey isn't having it again, and it's like, that's different. The case you're talking about is a 15-year-old and a pedophile who sexually abused him. And then Beverly D'Angelo is like, well, she was 17 when he started abusing her while incarcerated. And the judge is like, fuck, is that true? And Casey's like, she got an internship to see him. And Beverly is like, yeah, at his request. He says it disgraces me that the client attorney privilege was abused in this way. However, case law, yada, yada, he's allowing an insanity defense. And now we're at trial. Cece is on the stand and Beverly is asking about her trying to end her life. And she explains and she's crying. And like, she was like, the world had a dark ring around it. And she felt like it was closing in on her and she wanted to get drunk. And then it made her more depressed. And then Beverly Angelo looks incredible. Her blowout is <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo. Yeah, she's amazing. Oh, my God. She asks her, what did you do next? She explains that the cutting releases the pain and then, um, you know, the pain's too much. So she took GHB and she just was hoping that she could bleed to death or overdose or something like that. But, um, and she wanted to die because of Robert. So he got into her head and he kept hearing, she kept hearing like that he wanted her to kill someone and that she would be free once she murdered and that the whole world would make sense after she killed somebody. She asked for Cece to show where she cut herself. Casey objects and Beverly says, well, it's so it shows state of mind. And so the judge allows it. Cece looks nervous, but starts stripping um, and then shows everyone her cut up chest. Casey is pacing in a cell um, waiting for Robert to meet her and they bring Robert down and he is taken by Casey and he goes statuesque with porcelain skin and he likes what he sees and he wishes that he brought his sketchbook and she asks if he told Cece to kill Tina Snow, did you do it? And he says, no, but did she ever tell you she was going to kill someone for you? And he says, no. So she tells, so, but he, it's weird because it's like he, 
It's weird because he bragged to Stabler about how he had control over this girl and like got to have sex with her and got her to get the internship. Like he he brags about the control he has over her, but he knows the law, so he knows how far he has to he can go before he gets could get like more in trouble. So he doesn't cross the line, you know? Wow. So she tells him that like, you're going to testify for the prosecution. And he says, well, what am I going to get? I'm not doing it for nothing. I have eight life sentences. Like what? Like contempt of court. I don't give a shit. I don't know. Nothing can make my life worse. But we know Casey has a plan. So she stares at him and he's like, you need me. You wouldn't be standing here on a Tuesday night at 10 p.m. And then he giggles. Um, She asks what he wants and he says a chance at parole and she turns around to leave. And then he goes, oh, uh, What about transfer to the federal prison system? And they have better food and better accommodations. And it's a win-win. So he says, I bet Cecilia was very convincing. Did the jury see her cry? And she says, deal. And then yells for the gate. Um, And so I think this is fair, though. So we're at a trial and Robert Morton walks in and people in the crowd are clapping for him, wearing t-shirts with his face and name on it. And they're saying how much they love Robert. So Cecilia looks behind her and I'm sure she's nervous. Like he's getting so much support. And the judge, of course, is pissed and he wants order in his courtroom. And then Robert winks at Cecilia. And we have a bailiff swear him in. And Casey with a low ponytail walks towards him and asks if he's ever um, told the defendant to commit murder. And he says, yes. She says, that's not what you told me earlier. You are under oath, Mr. Ortman, Morton. <laughs> Mr. Ortman's my high school theater teacher. <laughs> um, so tell the truth, bitch. And he says, he understands what that means. And she asks again and again. And he says, yes. I told many to express themselves, but nobody had the emotional fortitude to do it before Cecilia. And she smiles so big and she loves getting attention from him. Casey's hair is so distracting. It's like legit George Washington colonial ponytail. <laughs> like puffy bangs on the sides. It's a mess, but she has to bring it. Like she has to bring it. Um, So he's trying to play her. So she says, did you tell her to get GHB? And he says, I wouldn't have done it that way. Did you tell her to get the knife? And he says, every artist chooses his own tools and he wouldn't want to influence her artistic choices. And he considers himself an artist and he's so creepy and he's smiling. And Wait, we tra- haven't even talked about who this is. This is Jared Harris. Do you know this actor? No, didn't even look. Oh, Jared Harris is in tons of amazing shit. He was in Mad Men. He's an amazing character in Mad Men. I think he's in Chernobyl. He's in a lot of awesome stuff. And I actually met him a bunch of times because him and his wife met at a comedy show. They met at the Josh and Josh show in West Hollywood. And when I took that show over, they were at the big final show and telling us all how they like love comedy. And like, he's this super sweet dude. Like he's obviously not a serial killer, but like he's a really, really nice guy who likes comedy. Wow. So yeah. Casey turns around and brings in some evidence. He shows a uh, She shows a big photo of the crime scene and asks him to compare it to one of his own. And of course, an objection from a perfect Beverly D'Angelo. <laughs> and they argue their points back and forth and the judge gives her the latitude but says, don't stray far. He then looks at the blown up crime scene photo of Tina Snow. He looks at it long and hard and then he touches it and says at first blush, you might think it's unique, but it lacks understanding and depth. With human canvas, you have true chance to do true action painting. 
where's the energy? Where is the splatter? This is lifeless and a cheap knockoff of my work. And she looks so hurt. She is so sad by this information. And he says, whoever did this is a talentless hack. And she gets up and starts crying and walking towards him in a super cute floral skirt and is like, what? I did this for you. I love you. And then she hugs him. Um, order, order, the judge screams. And another woman runs up and yells, he's mine. <laughs> and then Casey Novak turns to give him an evil stare. And he says to her, you are nothing like me. And she is being held back and carried off and she's screaming, I did everything you wanted. I love you. Please tell me you love me. And she keeps pulling herself closer to him and he whiffs her hair and says to her, you are right. You can never understand me. She gets pulled away um, by two uniformed cops screaming, I love you. I love you, please, over and over and over again. And now our dude is being walked out by more uniformed cops and he has a crowd of people clapping for him. Novak meets him and says, you were great. And he asks, did you like it? I bet you didn't know what happened next. And she responds, yep, you put on quite a show. You got her off. She's going to a psych ward. And he asks Casey, oh, is that a frown on your pretty face? She says, no, I think Cecilia is going exactly where she belongs. And so are you, she says. And he says, are you backing out of our deal? And she says, no, not at all. You are being transferred to a federal prison. But why would he think that the deal would still go through when he didn't do what what he said he was going to do? He said he was going to go on the stand and say, no, I didn't ask her to kill herself. She was trying to get Cecilia, like, legitimately prosecuted, not with insanity or de- or mental disease or whatever. I so, know, but I think Casey has a heart and sees that Cecilia needs help. Of course. But why does he think that he's still going to get his deal? It's insane. Yeah. But he's stumped and says, he, you know, he didn't take her for a sore loser. And she says, you're going to enjoy this supermax prison. 23-hour lockdown, no visitors, no mail, no phone calls, no human contact for the rest of your life. And then 80s music style vengeance music starts to play. And he's so stressed and upset and says, you can't do that to me. And cocky Casey tells him to wave to all of his fans. And he has a puzzled look on his face and mutters, but we had a deal. And Casey responds, and it's a masterpiece. How do you like my work? Um, I love it. And then he goes, you use me, you set me up. This isn't fair. Like, you know, and then he screams as he's pulled away into the back of the jail van and she walks off past the fanfare for him. And, uh, you know, Dick Wolf, baby. Listen, I don't really agree with the 23-hour Supermax stuff. I feel like that's like not, that's like treating people like animals and stuff. But this is a person who's like actively trying to influence people in the outside world to kill people, you know? So it's like maybe we do have to keep someone like him locked up. Yeah. Well, not necessarily locked up, but with no access to like mail or outside phone calls or human, you know, like he could go out and play on the yard for a little while, but, you know, can't turn other people into serial killers. Did you ever see the show The Following? It was with Kevin Bacon. No. I used to watch it, but it was too violent. Honestly, it was like a network show, but it was so disgusting. But it was this, there was this serial killer and all these people were his flock and they were killing for him. Wow. It was really, it was a lot like this. But anyway. I can't wait to know about the real crime because I know none of it. I know nothing. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and I'll give you some real crime. Mm-hmm. 
listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, so we are back. So first, I wanted to just touch on the case that this episode has two inspirations, but one is the case of Angel Rosa that Beverly D'Angelo brought up to the judge when they were trying to get the mental disease or defect plea accepted for our girl, Cece. So um, Angel Rosa, the ca- that case was, this was a 15-year-old boy and... Um, he in, 2000, in August of 2006, he drugged and strangled his 46-year-old mother named Madeline Irene. And um, then he spent days dismembering her body and shoving it in a suitcase. And parts of the body were found in a suitcase in a channel around August 23rd, 24th. Um, Angel confessed to killing his mother, but he said he did so under the influence of this man named Edwin Jimenez, who was had been sexually abusing him and, uh, and his 12-year-old brother for more than a year before the murder. Jimenez persuaded Angel to kill his mom so he could take him and his brother to New York City. And he was like, he had been abused by this man for a long time and just did what he said. Uh, Angel eventually accepted a prosecution plea deal and pleaded guilty to a reduced uh, charge of first-degree manslaughter. He told the judge he felt emotionally out of control when he killed his mother. Um, Not prosecution and defense psychiatrist found he was emotionally under the control of Jimenez, which is pretty rare. Like, usually you can find some psychiatrist or psychologist that can, like, you know, testify for the other side. But they both were like, oh no, this kid was being controlled. And uh, by the way, Jimenez was a previously convicted child molester who had just been let out and was allowed to be around these children. And in September of 2006... Like, are you on a fucking registry, bro? Like, how is this even... Fuck. Yeah. In 2006, he did plead guilty to second-degree manslaughter to hopefully, like, keep the boys away from having to, like, testify. Like, he at first he said he wasn't guilty, but then he's like, I don't want the boys to go through a trial. So he pleaded guilty and hopefully went away forever. Honestly, it is so fucking hard. This this happened all up in, like, the Buffalo area of Buffalo, New York. You cannot find so much information about this case, like, after it happened. Like, no, what's the kid up to now? No, like, how much time did the guy get? Like, I couldn't find anything. So if That's you have extra... That's actually good because these kids, I hope they had a chance to live a... Well, here's More what's normal interesting. life. Fuck. Because um, so, now he has to live with killing his mom. 
Well, yeah, but in 2007, a judge actually gave him youthful offender status and that gave him a six-month sentence and he'd already been in custody for more than a year, so he was released on time served. And he was released into the custody of the psychologist who started treating him and wanted to adopt him. So I'm really hoping that things worked out like okay for him. Um, He did thank the judge and apologize for killing his mother. He got 200 hours of community service and was ordered to obviously undergo psychological counseling, and I cannot find anything about where he is today, but maybe it's for the best. Well, and I hope his brother's okay. Like, I wonder if his brother ever forgave him. Like... I know, but like they were both under the, like they were probably both under the influence of this man. So maybe the brother understands. I don't know. But this is the real fucked up case that this is based on, okay? So have you ever heard of the Hillside Strangler? No. Okay. So... There was a serial killer named the Hillside Strangler who killed about 10 women around Los Angeles between 77 and 79. But it turned out it was actually two men. It was a man named Kenneth Bianchi and his cousin. So they were these two men. Kenneth Bianchi also murdered two separate women in Washington State on his own. He was like a horrible, sadistic serial killer, a lot like Morton. And he was in prison serving multiple life sentences for rape and murder. So in 1980, a 24-year-old woman named Veronica Compton was working on a script about a female serial killer. So she wrote to this famous serial killer, Kenneth Bianchi, to do research. Okay. Um, He was in prison. She visited him in prison at least once. It's unclear. Maybe prison logs weren't as clear as they are now, but, uh, and apparently she quickly fell for him. Uh, She also claimed later that she at the time was struggling with drug abuse and um, trauma from childhood sexual abuse. And she told the Seattle Times in an interview later, quote, I gave him control. He told me what drugs to take, what to drink, what to do. Within a few months of their pen palling, they hatched a plan for Veronica to murder a random woman in the style of Bianchi and his cousin so that it would cast doubt on his conviction and convince people that the real killer was still out there, okay? Which, you get the feeling that that's maybe what Morton's trying to do because some of his some of his fans say that in the episode. They're like, see, he didn't do it. The real killer's still out there, but he never makes it explicit. Like, oh, that means the real killer's still out there, you know? Um, but Howard, but... Wouldn't they have caught this communication? Um, or was or were laws different back maybe then? Maybe letters. In my head, I'm like, how'd they plan this? Maybe letters weren't being as like carefully read at that time. I don't know, but they they exchanged letters for months. It says, and they actually came up with a bunch of wild plans. Like one of the plans was for Veronica to dress as a nun to like lure her victim, but she did ditch the nun idea. And when she headed to Washington state to commit the murder, she brought a pregnancy disguise and a wig. So she was going to like disguise herself as a pregnant woman, I guess. And then since, this is wild, Lisa, since Bianchi was a rapist and a murderer, she planned to leave semen inside her victim, which is semen that allegedly Bianchi smuggled to her on a prison visit in a rubber glove. Okay. She also sent anonymous cassette tapes to authorities. So like, the episode takes a lot from this story, but just in different ways. Like, well, the, it wasn't his like semen, obviously, right? And they left a message. They left a mess. Like somebody left a message, like Olivia Benson, stay away from the case. And like she sends these anonymous um, cassette tapes to authorities, saying that the Hillside Strangler is still out there and that Bianchi is innocent. And this is like actually what got police into Veronica's trail initially. Like they sort of, she became a person of interest to them because of these tapes that she would anonymously send. 
So then, and how they knew it was her. I have no idea. Maybe they caught her one time. I don't know. I don't know how they figured that shit out, but they that's they got onto her trail apparently from these tapes. So then in September of 1980, at a bar in Bellingham, Washington, she met a 26-year-old woman named Kim Breed. Uh, she lured her back to her hotel room where she attempted to strangle her with like some kind of like rope or ligature. And luckily, Breed was stronger than her and like was managed to overpower her, escape, like went straight to the police. Um, and when she was arrested, the Washington Department of Corrections records do confirm that she had a vial of semen with her. So... The rumors are true. Uh, Veronica got a life sentence for first degree attempted murder with the possibility but also, of parole. That comes still that it still came from prison. Like it would still not like she couldn't but get her own jizz DNA. on the outside. They didn't do DNA over uh, that. So like it would. I don't even think they even knew about DNA. So they were like, yeah, just stick some of my jizz in the victim. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're you know, right, you're right, you're right, not right. knowing that it. What if she had gotten away with it? What if it had somehow worked? He would have gotten busted again with DNA. Probably like ten years later, it would have like popped in the system. I don't know. Who knows? All the rape kits are fucking backlogged, but. Veronica ends up getting a life sentence for first-degree attempted murder with the possibility of parole. She spends over 20 years in prison, and she was a busy little bee there, okay? At the Washington Correction Center for Women in Gig Harbor, she struck up a pen pal relationship with another serial killer named Doug Clark, who had also murdered women in Los Angeles with his girlfriend, Carol Bundy, no relation, and they were known as the Sunset Strip Killers. She claims nothing with this guy was romantic. She says she was just pen palling with him. And another, so a, a sexology professor named John Money said Compton may have had hybristophilia, which is sexual attraction to individuals who commit violent crimes. I just thought that was interesting. She denies that that was a romantic relationship with Clark. So... Prison authorities apparently really liked Veronica. Other in inmates called her an angel and inspirational. She got like staff members wrote to the parole board on her behalf. And she apparently got like the rec program going at the jail, uh, the prison, the music program. She got other inmates to start reading, like all kinds. Of, she was a, a positive influence apparently in the courts. But one psychologist said in 1990 that she had, quote, a severe antisocial personality disorder. And in 1994, another psychologist called her a shrewd manipulator. And Dave McEachran, who prosecuted her for the attempted murder, told the Seattle Times, I think she is still a dangerous person and dangerous to be out. She had numerous problems while in prison and is truly a bizarre person. But I don't know, he doesn't elaborate on the problems and everything I'm reading is that she's like an angel. So who knows who the real Veronica is, much like our girl Cece. And so in 1988, she escaped prison to try to see her son that she'd had at 17. Um, and he was like in his preteens or something and she had wanted to see him and he was maybe moving to another state and she was upset. And so she was caught in Arizona and brought back after 10 days. And she got convicted of first degree escape and possession of a firearm. And that gave her two additional years. So another pen pal that she had was a guy named James Wallace. And he was a political science professor at Eastern Washington University, 26 older years older than her, okay? He had come to the prison to lecture and she had heard one of them and she wrote him a letter. And then they developed this relationship. And in 1989, he divorced his wife of 38 years so that he could marry Veronica in prison. 
Oh my God. I know. He tells the Seattle Times, I didn't leave my wife for Veronica. Veronica was the excuse I needed. So he acts like our marriage was was fizzled and I just needed to meet. She convinced him to adopt her son, which he did. She had a baby with him in 1993 from a conjugal visit that they had. And in 1996, she finally gets paroled and goes to live with him and their daughter, okay? And unfortunately, she violated her parole within two weeks. What the fuck? I mean, it's crazy. A social worker went to, I think it's wild that's like, she was lured in by someone who was in jail and then that's how she lured her husband in and he doesn't think anything's weird about it. Like, that that she literally is in was jail because of- Was she a super babe? She's um, kind of like got like a cute 70s look going on, but not like, yeah. Yeah. You know, who knows? People have different ways of being charming. So- a social worker went to check on the kid and said Veronica came to the door naked and had <laughs> pornographic art on the walls that were inappropriate for a, char- a child. I disagree with this. I mean, like, I don't think... First of all, she said she didn't come to the door naked and her lawyers argued that the art was not inappropriate, which you could argue all day about what a kid's allowed to be around. But if you want your kid to see nude art, you can. But what really happened is that she stopped seeing the counselor she was required to go to. So her parole was revoked and she went back to prison And that was in 96. She went back to prison until 2003. It's like, just go to your counselor. Oh my God. She went back to jail for seven more years. She published a book called Eating the Ashes, Seeking Rehabilitation Within the U.S. Penal System under the name Veronica Compton Wallace. And since she got out in 2003, she's kept it pretty cool. She's kept a low profile. Bianchi is still in prison and continues to file lawsuits and petitions claiming that he is innocent. Damn. I want a movie about her. We and that's that. a fucking movie, dude. I'm surprised there hasn't been one. It's truly wild. I'm They've really actually, obsessed with her. I like mean, a, I might, she might convince me to start murdering. Uh, I'm like obsessed with her. I think one of my sources may have even been like a Criminal Minds Wikipedia because they've uh, they've portrayed her on Criminal Minds many, many times. Um, I think. Let me just double check that. Yeah. Yeah, they're like she has her own page on the Criminal Minds fandom page because they've they've done so many episodes like based on her. So as I close my tab about Sven Gulli, that is the end of this <laughs> recap. Um, everybody, stay where you are because we have a really hot guest coming up for you. <laughs> Guys, we are beyond excited to have our guest today, who is an actor of TV, film, and even video games. She's multi-talented, and you know her from Westworld, Raising Hope, The Riches, all kinds of stuff. She's also stars in one of the best-selling video games of all time, The Last of Us Part Two. but you knew her from today's episode as Cecilia Strayer. Guys, please enjoy our discussion with the lovely Shannon Woodward. Well, so when you first read the script, were you as surprised as the audience with all the twists and turns? Yeah, I was on the plane um, to go shoot it. (laughs) And really, like, what happened was, I remember my agent was like, hey, you got offered this SVU episode. Obviously, you're going to do it. And I was like, okay. And I was like, what is it? She's like, I don't know. You got to fly tomorrow. It was, like, very fast. And 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 it was a while ago, so, like, They were like, they'll messenger you the script. And I was like, okay. And it got there like right as I was like leaving for the airport. So it's like, okay, I'll just read it on the plane. So I'm reading it on the plane. And there were a lot of moments (laughs) where I was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, wow. 
Oh, no. <laughs> oh, rats. <laughs> oh, okay. rats, no. <laughs> oh, no. And then I was like, oh, boy. I wonder what, I, and then I got to the end and I was like, I wonder what part about me they were like, you know who we should just offer this to? <laughs> <laughs> that one chick on the riches. I was like, it's concerning. I won't lie. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. God. I think it's like you're, you're, you have like a youthful look, but then you also like, I really couldn't tell whether your character was like truly ha having a mental health moment or like was, was being completely controlled. Like probably a little bit of both, but you were good. You were good at making me not know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you get there. I mean, or have you, had you seen SVU before? Or oh, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of I'm course. not dead inside. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Great. some people are like, actually, I'd never seen the show. And you'd be surprised. That's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> horrifying. It's a cultural totem. Yeah, exactly. Who were you most excited to meet? Any big, um, fun, and memorable interactions with any of the cast? I mean, the whole thing was thrilling. Um, <laughs> obviously, obviously, the main cast is iconic. But then Beverly D'Angelo was playing my, my lawyer, and I was like, okie dokie, best <laughs> day ever. Um, she's amazing. What an icon. I literally uh, wrote in my notes, Beverly D'Angelo was your lawyer. She's an icon with 10 exclamation points. Like, well, no, it was so funny because, well, because um, Karen and I share this Google Doc. So I went and I already saw she wrote it. So I added a few exclamation points. Perfect. <laughs> because that's what I would like. We both, that was, and she had a great blowout. It was like a fun lawyer to have oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it, it, she she nailed it. I if I ever actually need a lawyer, oh, just call Beverly D'Angelo. I'm going to just probably tweet Beverly D'Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> they actually just recently brought her back onto the show as a completely different character and it's very distracting to me because she was such a memorable defense attorney. Good for her. Um yeah, keep working. So having a, like a breakdown in the courtroom is what we call like a bingo moment. You know, okay. it's one of the big iconic moments you can have on an SVU arc. Okay. How was it filming a full on, I love you, getting carried away, hugging the man? I mean, it's like, it's pretty, and you're like in a floral skirt, which I loved. It was. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> listen, I love Jared Harris. He's yeah. terrific. Love Jared. It was both, you know, a high and a low point for me, I think. <laughs> you know, it's not like, nothing about it is understated, but, you know, there really was only one way we were getting out of that shot, and that was if I just really screamed and cried. So, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I do, I do think it's hilarious, <laughs> I, I think the whole thing is really hilarious. Like, it's one of my favorite things to talk about when people are like, you know, what is the craziest thing you've ever done? I'm like, actually, it's SVU. I cut off my own boobs and then got <laughs> covered in rats and then had to get, got dragged out kicking and screaming in a courtroom, screaming, I love you. I was like, and Beverly D'Angelo was there. So, I mean, you're never really gonna like top that <laughs> yeah. in terms of like fever dreams, you know? Yes. Wait, well, okay. Speaking you, of the rats. Yeah, you've brought the rats up a couple times now. Let's get to it. Like, what was that scene? Like, are the rats like sag rats? Like, they're obviously taken care of by some kind of like animal handler. But like, were you just like, like you had to lie there still while rats were scurrying around you? Like, they were, oh, I think that the thing that was more disturbing was also that like, 
I was to, uh, supposed to have just cut off my own breasts just to throw people off the scent of me being the killer. So they, we were in some like abandoned building, I think in Harlem. And like we were shooting in this apartment and it was kind of strange that the building was empty anyway. And then they were like, you're going to lay on this weird mattress. Don't worry, it's not actually dirty. I'm pretty sure it was a mattress. And yeah. then they had to cover me in like fake blood, right? Which is really sticky and cold. And every time it is. So like that was actually the more uncomfortable thing is you're just like, oh God. Yeah. And, and then they were like, okay, we're going to put the little rats just right on. It was like, cool, are we rolling? Like- I didn't want, I was, I remember being like worried the rats would get lost. Like I wasn't, I mean, they're pet rats. I, I wasn't actually so worried about them. them. There you, were so many of there them. There weren't really that many, I feel like. How, how Did you count? Because I don't remember. <laughs> no, but it looked overwhelming. It looked like 20 rats having like a jazz party. Like everyone was, like they were. Wow. I was at a, ja I, a rat maybe, jazz party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like they were like <laughs> dancing. Because like, I think ratatouille, they're squirreling. Like, I, I don't know. It really, um, it wasn't. I it, thought you were gonna say you filmed it separate. I can't believe the rats were actually there. Oh, no, the rats were there, but it is possible they did a shot without me after I wrapped. Like, I don't remember there being a lot on me, but I also. No, they weren't I'm, on you. They were on the ground and you were on the mattress. So yeah, it was, I, I feel like they tried to put some on me, but I don't, I don't remember. Like, I've worked with so many animals and I'm not afraid. Like my cousin had like pet rats when I was a kid. So I was like, they're okay. pet rats. They're so you fine. have a different relationship. I wasn't, okay. I'm not squeamish like that. So like, I remember the blood being actually the thing. I was like, I can't wait to like get in the shower. What, have you ever lived in New York City? Yes. Okay. Because I feel like that's where the rat problem happens for a lot of people is when you well, live in also, New York. Well, also, yeah, like, I, mean, I don't want like, I don't want like a, like a like a free rat on me, you know. Like the free rats have not been vaccinated. Yes, <laughs> I don't know what they've got going on there. I respect them, um, but yeah. But the pet rats, I wasn't so worried about. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Those are all like trained they little babies. For life. I mean, they're they're like I think in, in captivity they're nice things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a domesticated rat is our friend, yeah, or at least like an acquaintance. <laughs> Um, well, I just remembered another, you play another big icon moment. You get to be a bartender with oh, the yeah. scoop. And they That's were like, pretty. can we light her just from the bottom? Up? Yeah, the lighting was rough in that scene, It was scene, really I rough. Like, I think I was like 23 years old and I was like, cool, 90, 100. Yeah, no, <laughs> it just was like, I have seen you in a lot of other things and I was just like, that's not even really what she looks like. like it's not what I look like. was just like not good in that scene. The, actually, that scene, I get texted stills of that <laughs> scene from other actors like more than anything else. And they're just like, wow, who'd you piss off? Like, I don't know, but it wasn't fair. <gasps> I gotta rewatch that. I it's just notice. like the light is just from under and it's, yeah. so it's just like you only see like, it's like I you're telling know, a spooky rude. story. It's, it's very like you're, rude. It's like you have a flashlight under and you're like once upon a time. Yeah. Did you know anything? I probably not because it seems like you read it on the way there. But did you know anything about the true story that this is based on? No, I actually okay. don't. I would love to hear about it. Well, I mean, it's we will have we will have just gone into it on our podcast, but 
it's truly about a woman very similar who fell in love with a guy that she, a serial killer that she started corresponding with under the guise of writing a movie. Right. And she was like doing it for research. And then they like fell in love. He sent her to go kill someone. He gave her his semen to put inside of other people. Oh, like, wow, it was, semen. Yeah, because like he wanted, they wanted to make it seem like he was, the wrong guy had been caught. Same deal oh, as, right. as this guy. I see. Very, yeah, same deal. Very clever. Yeah, she just got out of jail, that lady, in like 06 or something. How anyway, long was she locked up for? Over 20 years. And she wow. didn't even, she didn't succeed. The, her victim survived. So that's good. Yeah, so um, that's the I'm concerned lining. for myself now. Didn't realize I played somebody real and she's <laughs> going to be like, I can't believe <laughs> you made a mockery. But you know what? Like, apparently mm-hmm. she's been portrayed on Criminal Minds like five times. So I, I'm sure they're going to go to that, those actresses. Like, you'll be. I was on that, I was on that show too. I hope I didn't play her there. <laughs> I don't think I did. Mm, Wouldn't be the first time. Literally. Uh, that well, we think there's this big TikTok going around right now of Sharon Lawrence basically playing the same character on an episode of SVU and an episode of uh of not the same character, linked characters of Criminal right. Minds. Um anyway. <laughs> Anywho, my question for you is so tell me, so you liked working with Jared Harris? Because I met him before in real life and he is the sweetest man, and he is such a freaking creep in this episode, like so scary. He's the best. In fact, like after I did this, I was I I shot this in between the first two seasons of the first show I was on when I was really obviously really young, um, called The Riches. And we were casting, they were trying to cast like a like a big bad guy that like worked like that was like the head of the gypsy camp. Like I don't yeah. know if you know that that show at all. Yeah, but- yeah. I watched some of it. Yeah. And I think they'd like, they'd gone out to like Gary Oldman and some other people and they were like, we want $1 million. And they were like, we don't have that kind of money. Um, And so they were looking for somebody like this. And I was like, guys, I just work with this guy, Jared Harris, and he's horrifying. Like, lovely guy, terrific (laughs) actor. And they did end up hiring him. Like, at first they're like, okay, kiddo. And then like a couple months later, like they hired him. And I was like, well, well, well. (laughs) Anyway, I, I, I ran into Jared a couple years ago, like at the Emmys and he was... And he remembered this and he was like, that was so cool that you did that. And like that really, like he felt like that had domino affected for him in a really positive way. And so he was like, so lovely to me as if I had been helpful. And I was like, I don't think you needed my help, but like, I'm really glad that worked out for you. That is so nice. Because he's so great. He's so, yeah, it was just like a lucky timing thing. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Do you have any, do you have any like, like memories of like the set, like working with Marishka where she's like interrogating you. Like you have a lot of FaceTime with her in the in the episode. You make her feel so bad about herself in the hospital scene. Oh yeah. I remember I remember shooting the scene. And like I think Marishka had just directed a bunch of the episodes or something. And so she was still like, you know, it's very much her show, you know? Mm-hmm. And um she's and she's amazing. And uh, we were doing that scene, which is I mean, it's a very silly scene. Uh, again, like, that's also one of the funniest things I've ever done is that we're like, my life is so messed up. <laughs> it's so funny. But I remember we were doing this scene and I remember I was just like, oh, man. All right. And and we're doing it. And at one point, I remember Rishka was very supportive. And she was like, you're very talented. I think you could go deeper. <laughs> yes. And I was like, go deeper. All right. Well, she's like, yeah, I just really like, and I was like, okay, all right, <laughs> I'll give it a go for you. I mean, I don't know if I disappointed her or not, but you know, it's uh, it's, it's iconic. 
<laughs> my life is so messed up. Well, you know, our podcast is called That's Messed Up. So I did love to hear that. That was a big moment for us. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Great. And did you started acting young? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like dabbled when I was a kid. I lived in Florida and like Nickelodeon was there. And I, I did like some TV movies and stuff that was like local and like a bunch of commercials. And then I came out to LA when I was like 16. And then I kind of, I started working really professionally, like when I was about 18. Okay. And we feel like your vibe is normal. Um, so what's your secret of being a childhood star? <laughs> who, d- who didn't turn out a nut? <laughs> Don't be very talented when you're a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was not very talented. I was no Dakota fanning. Uh, I started to figure it out as I got a little older. Um, but yeah. There, I, That's an incredible answer. Thank you. It's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't be really good, really young. Get good later. Well, just like gradually be like, turns out she's like fine. You know, <laughs> keep people's expectations really low and they're never sycophantic. So you don't get a skewed perception yeah, of reality. Of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So just don't be very good and nobody cares. And then you're kind of normal. Yeah. But you were still getting work. I mean, things go fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so I was a huge fan of Raising Hope. I've seen every episode, I think. And really? Yeah. Oh my god, I loved it. I loved that show. And you were you worked with fellow SVU alum Martha Plimpton. Iconic episode. Yeah, I feel like everybody's been on it, right? Garrett must have been on it too. Yeah, but she's in a really killer episode. <laughs> she <laughs> holds a little. Um, she holds a little pinky in a baggie in her purse. That's, that's actually real. She she carries that all the <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. It's a bone, just FYI. It doesn't have like rotting flesh on it. It's just a bone. Um, Ooh, she, <laughs> but she so really she, bonds with iced tea. It's like, um, it's a dramatic episode. I might need to watch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to check it out. Sure. Mary Steenburgen's in it too. It's a great episode. Big fan, um, I'm in. <laughs> so um, you also do podcasts. You do like some, you, I saw you've been in some of these scripted podcasts. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I do like I, I I do like voice acting as if I was in a yeah. really big video game that came out about a year and a half ago. And so, yeah. So now people ask me to do uh, like uh, narrative podcasts and stuff. Yeah, there, I did one with Bowen Yang. Yeah, called Hot White Heist, which is really fun. And then there's another one for Ubisoft that I did. Yeah. How do you like that? I mean, is it different than doing like VO for TV, like? Or video games? Well, I mean, the video game, we shot like a movie for five years. So like that was just like acting in a mocap suit. Oh, wow. Um, And then we did like a year in the booth, which is like, that's, you know, similar to like doing a cartoon or something, but it just with a grounded tone. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, the the Hot White Heist, uh, Alan Cumming directed, which was really fun. Um, But we did that in the pandemic. So it was like, yeah, I was in like a, I was in a sound studio and then they were on Zoom, like, directing me. And actually, we didn't do any of that performance together, though, usually. Right. Um, but I think I think there's more going forward, and we will, going forward, kind of do more uh, together. But, um, but yeah, it's a good time. It's interesting. I mean, I think, like, doing things without your face involved is interesting because I, there's no vanity involved, and, and that sometimes is, like, that's a treat. Yeah. You just kind of roll up and... And uh, do something fun. Um, whereas the other stuff, you're like, where's the light? Is it underneath the table again? <laughs> Please don't. You know, I don't know. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's fun. Wait, so the video game was a five-year journey? Yeah. 
And it's like you're, you have those dots all over you. And were you a warrior? What's your character? Um, so the game is called The Last of Us Part Two. Um, so actually the HBO show, uh, they just, I think they just finished shooting. I guess that'll be out sometime next year. Like, uh, and the game, the first game follows like a 12 year old girl and, uh, and a grown man. And it's, it takes place in like a zombie apocalypse, like much further after it. And it's really about their relationship and they have to like travel across the country. And, um, and then the second game, um, you play as that girl, but now she's 19 and that character's gay. And I play her girlfriend um, in okay. in the game. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And do you help her with the adventures? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> we, we do a lot of murdering and, um, but you know, we're only killing bad guys. So it's, so this is the kind of thing where it's, this is your likeness as well, right? It's like no. the character looks like you? No. No, it's not. They It moves and talks like me. So it one-to-one moves like me. But um, they basically did art of someone and then they went through central casting and found a real person that looked exactly like what they designed. And then that's how they they did that. So they didn't invent like a fake face. I mean, they would have maybe scanned my face, but I actually look a lot like the other character whose girlfriend I was playing. So like if they scanned part of my face, it could have been too confusing. Yeah, Need you need to have differentiation, I would assume. Yeah, between the girlfriends. Yeah, have you played it? Yeah, I mean, it's. I I honestly think it may be the best video game ever made. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's amazing. But I love games. Like I was such a big fan of the first one. Um, one of the writers from the first season of Westworld, she actually co-wrote the game, and and that's how I ended up being involved. Because oh, I was like, oh my god, I'm such a fan. It. Anyway, the show will come out soon and then you can just watch that, but it's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, what was, what was, can I ask you about Westworld? Like, what sure. was that like? I mean, that you were like, did you guys know that was going to be such a like massive thing that it became? I mean, I think we hoped so. I mean, it was like a, it was a big budget. Um, you know, there's always a chance that like something like that just, you know, doesn't do well and it falls mm-hmm. apart. But, um, but yeah, I, I was definitely like it felt like it was it it, it was poised to be yeah. quite successful. So yeah, it was fun. It was great. I mean, I'm such a nerd that that, that was a great time for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Ice T and Finn, the character, love video games. There's really? a video game episode of SVU based on Gamergate. Really? And like a female makes the we inter- we interviewed the actress, but yeah, she makes a game, and then the incels, Jake Paul, Logan Paul, one of them's in it playing oh, an wow. incel. Logan, it's Paul. pretty wild. Yeah, one of the Pauls. <laughs> but I don't know if I would tell you to watch that one, Shannon, it's if you're really a gamer, because dark. a lot of the people that game say that it's really cringy the way they talk about game stuff. Because I don't think that I don't know if they know all up. of the game stuff. That's fair, but actually, <laughs> that sounds incredibly entertaining. To yeah, me. it could be funny. I'm in. <laughs> but the violence is. Very. I thought you were going to warn her about the violence. No, it's I mean, like if a girl watched it's, SVU. That's true. <laughs> that is true. I actually realized I have a great SVU story for you. Oh, yes. this is great. So we're doing a shot where it's just me walking out of a building. I think it's like late afternoon. It's maybe like sunset, and I think they brought me in like just to do that. It was just I just had to walk out, and somebody watches me. So they're shooting this whole block on New York uh, in New York. I think we were in Tribeca, and they were like. I'm, I'm waiting right outside the door and they're like rolling action. And I walk outside. And as soon as I walk outside, I just hear from speakers blaring in an apartment upstairs. Boom, boom. Oh my God. Yes. I was like, uh, what? And they were like, cut. We do it again. And they're like, boom, boom. 
as soon as like I walk out and they're like, God damn it. And I was like, what's happening? And the PA was like, it's the neighbors. They just know they will pay them off. So like they had to go upstairs and pay them off to stop playing the SVU music every time they rolled. (laughs) They gave them a couple hundred bucks. And like, and then right after that, they were like, hold on, hold, hold, hold. We got a hold for some people crossing the street and this family crosses the street. And I was like, what are we waiting on? And the PA was like, you're not going to believe this. And I was like, what? And he was like, it's M. Night Shyamalan and his entire, and his entire family just crossed the street. We had to hold. Anyway, that was a pretty good day. Pretty funny. <laughs> so random. Those are good. I'm obsessed with that. I did want to say, I don't know if you remember, but we did a chemistry test together on Zoom one time. Yeah, I actually, you do look very familiar. For Bucktown. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, man. Good times. Well, it didn't go, so. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good, But you though. were very funny. It was good, and the pilot came out really well. They didn't cancel anything. I'm sh- yeah, I I was hoping for it. I would have watched it, and I loved that it was in Bucktown, but also that Sarah Gilbert was there was a win enough for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah Gilbert's awesome. Yeah, I was like, if I could be on a Zoom with her, I feel like everything's going Another great. SVU alum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's the best. She's in a jam-packed one. She's in an episode with Luke Perry and Julie Julie Bowen. Bowen. Oh, wow. That's a dream cast. Are there any episodes that stand out to you as a watcher that you remember that haunt you or you think of? God, this is a great question. I used to watch it like, I used to watch it like crazy, but it's been so long now that they all just bleed together. I feel like most of the episodes now that I've seen are like, ones where I, like, it was my friend was on it. I was like, oh, I got to watch your SVU. (laughs) Yes, totally. No, I wish I had a good answer for this, but I don't. I mean, mine is so crazy that, like, I mostly just remember Jared Harris. (laughs) Yeah, yours is a great one. It really is. It's Um, expensive. They blew up a building. Well, yeah, I also love the ones where I've seen them a bunch, but I'm still surprised and shocked for some reason. I'm always like, oh, yeah, fuck. And that's one of them. <laughs> I completely forgot rewatching it, even though I've seen it 10 times. I was like, oh yeah, she did it. Do you have anything like going on right now that you want our listeners to check out? Like, what are you working on right now or have coming out soon that you're allowed to talk about? I actually don't know that I have anything I can talk about. I've been oh. working, but that, Ooh, nothing's like doing working. press right now. So it's like, okay. Kind of, yeah. Just, you know, watch SVU. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> That was fun. Yeah, she's fun. She's fun. Cool girl. Cool girl. I can't believe she was just like, yeah, they were rats. Whatever. They crawled on me. <laughs> like, what? But she, but when she was like, there's a difference between like a sag rat, you know, like a rat that's like being trained by an animal trainer for movie shoots. But yes, my sister's bestie, um, she has pet rats. I can't, I know. I, I knew a girl at camp that would had a pet rat and would just let it crawl inside her shirt while she was talking to people. And I, it's just like, I can't, I can't, I, it's not well, for me. Well, I remember when I was a kid and I went to summer camp, Um, my counselor had pet rats and I did a, eh, and she goes, well, that's not really nice. Like, I really love them and they're my pets. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a good lesson. Yeah. You know, she taught me and I, I just kept think when it with you, me. I think, look, a pet, you can have a pet raccoon. You can have a pet fox. In the wild, you shouldn't touch those things. You know what I mean? Like, they will... I don't think you can have a pet raccoon. You can. It's all over TikTok. (laughs) People have pet raccoons that are at home, like making, like taking baths with like a goose and shit. Like, how? I want one. People, you can like raise, you can raise almost any animal from a baby to be domesticated. So if you raise baby raccoons, 
You just got to know what you're doing. I'm not saying anyone should do this, but like, I yeah. would love a raccoon. And they get fat. They get like the size of like a fat cat, you know? And their little hands. <laughs> their little hands are so funny. Oh my God. I would raccoon love raccoon. hands are so funny. But anyway, how did we get here? An amazing interview. I love this episode. This episode feels like, like a movie to me or something because it involves like, you know, serial killers. And I and I really liked listening, learning about the real story because I had no idea about this woman. And what a story. Um, also, don't try to fuck with Casey Novak. She's gonna make sure you're in solitary confinement. Okay. Yeah, you're not no pulling one over. No. I know all your like fans are telling you that you're a genius, but like Casey went to. Harvard Law? Brown Law? Yes. Where'd she go? Harvard. Harvard Law. Yeah. Like, trust. She's going to get you. Um, don't do something that a man tells you, especially if it involves going around with a sack of semen somewhere. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> don't carry sacks of semen for Don't carry anybody. a rubber glove full of jizz with you anywhere. It's not a good Is idea. That merch? <laughs> sacks Is that merch? Is that merch? Sacks of semen. We can Gross. sell like a stress ball and it'll say sack of semen in it. And uh, it'll be like a little bag of <laughs> jizz. Gross. Yeah, but um, pretty inventive. Yeah. But this was a, um, I don't know, this episode, I guess, be, watch out that you don't have habristophilia or whatever it is, which is when you're attracted to people who do murder. Um, just check on yourself for that. And... Uh, that's all we can say. Also, really if you're going to cut yourself, they're going to know that wounds. Yeah. Like, have someone do it. I don't yeah. know what to say. Like, I, 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 there's science, there's technology. Yeah. You're, they're going to know how you and like cut yourself. Yeah. It's not going to work. Stop, and don't try to cut off your own tits. I don't think you're going to go through with it. That's another lesson. It's another yeah. lesson. I don't think you're going to go through with it if you just do it on a mattress in a dirty motel. Yeah, so anyway, those are some good lessons from this episode. Um, should we get into our What Would Sister Peg Do? Um, this week for our What Would Sister Peg Do, which you know is our weekly segment where we point you guys to an organization, an article, a book, something that will help flesh out a little bit more about what we talked to uh, talked about today. And listen, I don't think that many of you are corresponding with serial killers, so I didn't think there was any kind of uh, helpful organization to point you to, but... I did run across this book in my research called Women Who Love Men Who Kill, colon, 35 True Stories of Prison Passion by Sheila Eisenberg. And she's been quoted in a lot of articles about hybristophilia or whatever this thing is where you're attracted to men who are killers or people who are killers. And um, you get a sense about what the book is about from the title, but she sheds light on why um, these women are so attracted to incarcerated psychos. And, you know, you can uh, check out the link uh, to the book in our show notes. And this actually reminds me, separate conversation about people are really talking about the morality of Dahmer being released again as another miniseries. What do you think? Because I'm not watching it, I, but I also I didn't stopped. watch- I watched the first episode and then like when he was about to give a 14-year-old boy a lobotomy, I was like, I kind of know where this is going. Why are we watching this again? People who are still alive because their fan and their relatives of the of the victims are like- I'm portrayed in this Netflix show. Like, my personal statement that I made in court is in this show. There's an actress playing me, saying my words. Netflix doesn't call me and ask me if that's okay. I don't get any, like, compensation. Like, it's just wild to keep making money off of this disgusting serial killer. And, like, now there's all this shit on the internet about how he's hot and everybody's like, he can get it. Like, it's kind of wild when he was, like, a truly horrific psycho who ruined a lot of people's lives. 
Yeah, I mean, I also didn't watch Pam and Tommy. I really, I, I'm not into, I, I, different, obviously, but like the consent of it all, the trauma of it all, it bothers me and I'm not going to watch it. And when I was young and very into all of this, of course I watched as much as I could get. Yeah. Even I think documentaries are a little different. I think the like building this guy up in this weird way. And maybe that's not what they're trying to do. I'm not going to watch it to find out. But like, it upsets me. It upsets me that he was able to get away with the crimes for as long as he did because of straight up like racism. And it's just like, the reaction should be more upsetting and how horrific this is and how sad it is instead of like, he can get it. (laughs) Like, it it bothers me. And I know we're also in the true crime space. And I think we care a lot about doing right. I mean, I'm sure there could be people that are upset or maybe we're not doing everything right. But mm. I know we take a lot of care and effort to make sure that like our research and the organizations and everything that we're doing is as respectful as we can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but we are in the same space as like him, I guess, with true crime. I don't know. It, I don't it, know. It's it just bothers like, me. I'm not It's just like we it. know the story. The story's out there. And like, we're just regurgitating it for money. And I'll tell you guys, we are not making what Netflix is making. Like, we, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like we're making a lot of money off of like true, off of like No, and I think we're also highlighting how fucked up these criminals are and how fucked up our justice system is and the mistakes that the police make. And I don't know if this show is doing it. I'm I'm also not hating on anyone that's watching it. Like, I'm sure I watch lots of fucked up shit. Well, also I have to say the name is ridiculous. The show is called Dahmer, colon, monster. No, the show is called Dahmer, like dash, monster, colon, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. No. You guys shouldn't be watching a show that has such a stupid title. But and I, I just it's wanted like to bring I'm it being up. on like a high horse and I'm not. Like I watch lots of shit that I'm sure is not kosher and I have watched stuff. Yeah. But it's like it just felt like, you know, talking about people that are long gone or dead. And and listen, I like was obsessed with cereal. And then I remember thinking hearing like, oh, Hayes family hates this. And I was like, oh fuck. Like I didn't even think about that. That sucks. Like, you know, but it's just like hearing this woman whose brother was killed by Jeffrey Dahmer say, Yeah, I'm portrayed in this net in this documentary. It's like a not a documentary, this television show. Like, that's me. And no one asked me. And no one said it was okay to like for like replay my trauma on TV. It just feels like a different thing than a podcast. But yeah, it's all fucked. Um, anyway, I'm tell not them. watching it. I'm sure the acting is great. I I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I'm not in the mood for it. I think we, me and you particularly, um, consume get a lot of fucked up yeah. stuff, and. I, you, I have to be careful about everything that I consume. All of us do and how it affects our brains. And I think we do enough. And I just like, on my full ass free time, I can't really be delving into. Yeah, yeah. But that. will you tell everybody what we're watching next week? Alta Cockers, baby. That's our next week's episode. It's season 20, episode 10. Please watch along with us. Um, USA was playing SVU all fucking weekend. Usually yeah. there's a break. There's an NCIA. There's, re- there was a little bit of wrestling, but they gave me a lot of SVU. It's like <laughs> they knew I was in a hotel and needed them. Um, but, and there's an ant on my Zoom recorder right now. Like, oh truly. my God. Oh my God. Stop. Okay. The ants guys, are everywhere. Casey's We got to let Lisa deal with her pest problem and we will see you next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you guys. Go to thatsmessuplive.com, get tickets to see us live, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
What's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.